Topic 10, Third Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature, Topic 10, Third Paper, by Mrs. Rosa D. Bowser of Richmond, Virginia. What role is the educated Negro woman to play in the uplifting of her race? The writer of the subjoined article is a native of Virginia and belongs in the front rank of educators of her race in this grand old commonwealth, which may justly boast of the eminence to which its black as well as white citizens attained before and since the war. The first president of the Black Republic on the west coast of Africa, Joseph Jenkins Roberts, as well as the foremost Baptist leader, Lot Carey, were Virginians. Mrs. Rosa D. Bowser was born in Amelia County and was reared in the city of Richmond. She passed through the grades of the public schools and completed her schoolwork at the normal school of that city under the instruction of its founder, Mr. Ralza Morse Manley of Vermont, a distinguished educator in the North as well as the pioneer educator in Virginia among the Negro race. Mrs. Bowser received special training from Mr. Manley, having been instructed by him in the higher mathematics and Latin. She early developed a taste for drawing, painting, and music, and made commendable progress in the fine arts. Mrs. Bowser's work as an educator has not been limited to the schoolroom, in which she has been so efficient for the last twenty-five years, but she has been conspicuous in other and wider fields of usefulness among her people within and without the state. This is evidenced by the following facts. She founded the Women's League, which rendered signal service in the Lunenburg Trials. She is president of the Richmond Mothers Club. She is a member of the executive board of the Southern Federation of Colored Women. She is chairman of the executive board of the Women's Educational and Missionary Association of Virginia. She is chairman of the Standing Committee of Domestic Economy for the Hampton Conference. She is president of the Women's Department of the Negro Reformatory Association of Virginia and is one of the most conspicuous members of many benevolent organizations in Richmond. She is an eloquent and fascinating orator, bringing to that accomplishment earnestness of manner, grace of gesture, and a charming personality. In all ages of the world, Woman has been the central figure around which all joys and sorrows, all inspirations, all aspirations, and all accomplishments have circled. In all conditions of life, in all climes, in all Christian epochs, in all countries, 
she holds this position indisputable among the nations of the earth. For without her there would be no home circles. Without the home circles there would be no races nor nations. Her office of divine institution for the perpetuation of the human family should not be lightly regarded by any class of people. Woman's primary duty is the systematic and wise ordering of the household. The infant looks into its mother's face and there receives its first impressions. These impressions are stamped upon the mind and heart of the child. The mother notices all the little disorders and griefs of the child from its birth throughout its life. The conscientious mother is ever ready to console, advise, and sympathize in all grievances and perplexities which may confront her offspring. Hence there is great need for proper instruction to wives, mothers, and in fact to all women in anticipation of the responsibilities of a home and the obligations of motherhood. It has been well said that the training of children should begin with their grandparents. The character of the homes of the land, the moral and immoral bearing of every settlement, town, and city, in a large measure, depend upon the class of women, upon the idiosyncrasies of wives, mothers, and women in general, who by nature mold the sentiment of every department of human control. That society is ruled by women cannot be questioned. The age of complete dependence of women upon the stronger sex has so far passed as to be foreign to the minds of the present generation. Not that the gentler sex is averse to the protection and tender solicitudes of the father, husband, and brother, but it is of such common occurrence that women are thrown upon their own resources in the maintenance of the home that they of necessity rather than from choice assume a degree of independence in various avenues of life christianity is the medium by which woman has been exalted to her legitimate sphere in the world the best colleges that a few years past closed their doors against her have gradually put the latch-strings on the outside. The co-education of the sexes and the attendant results have displaced the old idea of the moral and intellectual inferiority of women. The learned professions are subject to her choice. She stands beside her brother as a partner, sharing equally with him in the world's work for humanity of one flesh god made all men hence they have the same general tendencies or inclinations the same likes and dislikes the same sympathies and the same indifferences the same joys and the same sorrows manifested in a greater or less degree as their sensibilities have been cultured and developed the negro is no exception to this general rule the centuries of servitude when he dared not of his own volition pursue courses for intellectual growth now place the negro as an adolescent race yet 
one that has made wonderful strides in improving its condition morally, intellectually, and financially. The Negro was grateful for much in past experiences, which experiences have been rigid disciplinarians, urging him to think and act for himself. Therefore his hopes and aspirations grow stronger for more glorious results for the future. Compare the first thirty-six years of the independence of any civilized race with the progress made by the Negroes since their emancipation. Who can, in a spirit of justice, say that the Negro has not made a very creditable record wherever the opportunity to show himself a man has presented itself. The Negro is grateful that there are many southern as well as northern friends in the dominant race who publicly commend him and give him due credit for his energy and perseverance in making the best use of his time and talents. The fact is generally known that whatever success has been made was achieved through many difficulties. The best class of Negroes is not discouraged by the ravings and unjust criticisms of certain classes of people who do not know the Negro, having had little chance of intercourse with him, even in the years prior to and during the Civil War. Yet he is far very far from being contented with his present condition. The harvest is great, and many sheaves are yet to be gathered. He knows that the number whose eyes are opened to the beauties and utilities of life, and whose souls can discern the grand possibilities of the future, is a great contrast to the masses of the race that must yet be induced to appreciate the light of day. More teachers are needed to point out and supply this light. Who can better perform this duty than the unselfish, humane, intelligent Negro woman? Who can better feel the touch of sympathy and get out of self to help by lifting as she climbs? who can better see the need than one who is interested in the lowly of her own household who but the educated negro woman will feel more keenly the stigma of the depravity of her weak sister who has wearied of the struggle for a higher plane of living to whom is the call to this duty more urgent will she answer she must do so. Her advantages, intellectually and socially, demand that she should take a front rank in the crusade against ignorance, vice, and crime. She is the lighthouse, giving warning of the hidden shoals and guiding away from the rocks which are wrecking the lives of many capable young men and women. These young people are anxious, in many cases, to be led into paths of purer man and womanhood. They incline toward leaders. But they will follow only good leaders in whichever course they take, whether the straight and narrow path of the integrity and upright Christian character, or the broad road which leads to shame, degradation, and death. 
they must and will follow leaders but they require of leadership a reflection of their ideals in other words they require them to be as leaders all that they would admonish others to become models of true intelligent morally pure women and men not only must these upright negro women take their role as counselors and teachers but it is highly essential that they be with the element to be uplifted yet certainly not of it it is impossible to help a fallen or weak sister to rise if the helper like the levite pass by on the other side and merely call out arise and stand in the beauty of pure womanhood rather than like the samaritan she goes to her and lifts her to her feet the touch of the hand in proof of a heart full of sympathy goes a long way in winning and holding a living lasting evidence of the regenerating influence of charity to the recipient the alarming death rate among the negro population is largely due to ignorance of the laws of health and the proper care of children such people need instruction in their homes for you will reach them nowhere else they will not attend public meetings nor church services they feel out of place in them hence there is no way to reach such people other than by going among them this act will not mar the reputation of a true leader one whom they can emulate and in whom they have confidence it rather increases her influence for they know she is not of them but with them in their efforts to improve the magnitude of the work may sometimes cause one to shrink when the progress seems slow but all reforms require deliberation endurance and perseverance occasionally we get an encouraging comment which comes like a calm after storms of criticism and abuse two of the daily papers of richmond virginia made very favorable statements in regard to the conduct of the colored people during the week of the carnival october seventh through twelfth nineteen o one for violations of the law there were about two hundred arrests and not one colored person of the number the colored schools came in for a liberal share of praise for their attendance during said week all colored groups of schools were way up in the nineties baker school colored of six hundred and twenty seven pupils led the city schools with ninety eight point nine per cent of attendance we hailed the announcements with delight for they strengthened our belief that negro education may not always be considered a failure we are stimulated to more earnest endeavor when we find persons of great minds and large hearts voicing such helpful sentiments as expressed by mr joel chandler harris in his article to the new york journal november third nineteen o one on negro education from which i quote 
what is called the negro problem is simply the invention of men with theories the spectacle spread out before us is not in the nature of a problem it is made up of the actual efforts and movements of a race slowly and painfully feeling its way toward a higher destiny the conditions of circumstances being without parallel or precedent in the history of the world it was inevitable that serious mistakes should be made that misunderstandings should arise that philanthropy should stretch out full hands in the wrong direction that partisan politicians should pour out the vials of wrath but what of it the real progress of the race has been retarded a moment nothing has been lost and now at last the whole conservative and intelligent element of the race is placing itself under the leadership of men well qualified to lead it and is making a new start if the philanthropists and rich men of the country will hold up the hands of such negroes as booker t washington they will be able to forget in a few years that any serious mistakes have been made more than that they will be able to view leniently the mistakes that are still to be made End quote. and i add if the hands of such women as mrs booker t washington of tuskegee and miss georgie washington of mount meggs alabama be upheld by friends of the north south east and west many skeptics would in a comparatively short time forget that they had at any time doubted the ability of the negro to make for himself a credible place in history such are the women needed to-day women who teach by doing women who can take a basket of soap on the arm and in a gentle winning way present it to the homes that need it while at the same time extol its merits in a pleasant manner women are needed who can teach the lesson of morality cleanliness of soul and body and the hygienic and economic management of the humble home by showing them how to perform these acts and furnish examples women who can arouse their sense of propriety to such a degree that by frugal habits they may abandon the one-room cabin in which a family of eight or ten eat cook sleep wash and iron for the neat two three or four-room well-ventilated cottage the laundry tub may be an excellent substitute when no better can be provided but they will be taught to see the need of a genuine bathtub in every home they will be taught that honest labor is no disgrace that however much education one may acquire the deftness of the hands to execute the mandates of the mind tends rather to elevate the possessor and hastens the day of a full-developed man or woman, with mind, heart, and hand, trained to the best service, 
thereby dignifying labor. Above all, the thought must be impressed indelibly upon the hearts and consciences of the youth that the men can be no better than the women. Men are what the women make them. If a woman is refined and exhibits a modest, dignified bearing, men cannot fail to appreciate her demeanor and conduct themselves accordingly, while, on the other hand, boisterous, uncouth conduct upon the part of women will encourage boldness toward them, disrespect for them, and win the contempt of the men of a community for such women. Hence, wherever uplifting influence is needed, the result of the labor depends upon the compliant nature of the element upon which they are working, whose persuasive power is more efficacious in directing the upward and downward trend of the masses. The women who can best appreciate this fact have the very grave responsibility of keeping the lesson constantly before the people, lest we forget lest we forget. The so-called Negro problem must be solved by the Negro. The plane to which he must attain is limited by the energy and persistency of the most competent and sympathetic leaders in piloting the followers in such a manner that they may realize that, quote, life is real, life is earnest and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. End, quote. End of Topic 10, Third Paper